this episode, we'll continue our discussion about quality in healthcare. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again for Vizient are Angela Hunt, Principal for Clinical Documentation, and Dr. Rick May, Senior Principal for Clinical Quality Improvement. Angela and Rick, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having us again. Thank you, Tom. So, Angela, what should organizations do to correct their documentation? Oh. World hunger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, world hunger. <laughs> That's right. 20 seconds or less, Angela. See if you can answer that question for us. Oh, there's so many different ways of doing that between natural language processing, computer-assisted coding, tools to prioritize cases where we know we need to look at. I could go on and on and on. I think the one piece that people constantly forget is technology cannot take the place of critical thinking. So as much as we would like to use technology to replace human bodies, it's not possible yet. There's a lot of reasons for that, a lot of limitations to what we currently have out in the market. But I think to get correct documentation is going to have to start with the providers and figuring out ways for them to have a template that they can work through that gets to the right documentation the first time. I think that's the only way we're going to be able to do it. There's a lot of attempts in software out there to do that, but they fall short in a lot of different ways. In addition, providers don't like it when their workflow or they're thinking through what they're going to say for a patient is interrupted by a nudge or a pop-up that occurs on their screen or during their dictation. I think I've talked to multiple providers in multiple states, and that has been a consistent theme. It was completely annoying to be able to be in the middle of a sentence and then it interrupts your sentence and your train of thought and you have to start all over. I also want to add to that in reference to particular institutions of training. And my next comment is made with the utmost of respect. But for many attending physicians in these institutes of trainings, I see that they're relinquishing the responsibility of the note entirely to among those physicians in training with the least amount of experience. I think that a reframing to help them understand that these notes do reflect their work and their quality of work and to assume, again, the responsibility of the note is going to be important. Also, I want to add to what you mentioned, Angela, in reference to the interruptions. It's important to note that for many providers, when they're writing their note, they're thinking. They're actually thinking through the process. And I know things are crazy when you're out on the floors, but perhaps coming up with functions where you see a provider actually writing a note during that time, if the interruption is really necessary, because errors can occur from that. I can't believe you brought that up. So just recently, I was on a call where we were talking about when is the best time to train residents, how to document the right way. Mm -hmm. So my recommendation was to start with a third year resident, because in my mind, I was thinking if I'm a first or second year resident, I need to be knowing how to save a life and apply what I learned in school to the body in the bed in front of me. And of top of mind may not be the right word that I need to use. And that's not where their education needs to be, right? It's application of what they learned in school. But those residents, those first and second year residents are the ones doing all the notes. Mm -hmm. So to your point, I was thinking we should intervene at year three, four residents and do some detailed year-long training exercises with them because they're at a point where they've done enough of the application work where they can start to take on new information on how to really show the complex medical decision-making through documentation. And unfortunately, we're going to have to like rethink our think on that one. You know, Rick, respectfully, the opportunity in reference to having ownership of a note, in my observation, at least, as a surgeon yourself, what would be your thoughts behind that? Sorry, Tom, what you're saying is the surgeons are by far the best documenters you've ever seen. Is that what you're making? Indeed. (laughs) 
Well, I have to agree with that because we are sort of amazing that way. Yeah, if you've ever read surgeons' notes, especially orthopedic surgeons' notes, they are just. Um, I, I think communication from surgeons in general is just top notch. Beautifully brief. I think raised great points. If you think about it too, our medical education system. Let's talk specifically about doctors. Really, we've made some evolution over the last five years, ten years, fifty years, whatever it is. There's been some, I think, improvements, but clearly a lot of the education is still the way it was forty or fifty years ago. Yep. And I think we need to really, from an educational standpoint, these institutions need to take a step back and say, okay, looking forward. What will physicians really be doing in the future? And I think the thing we overlook is this issue about documentation is pretty critical about how to capture the correct information and do it efficiently. But also, if you think about it, I think a lot of physicians are going to be moving into essentially management roles. You see it now with CRNAs with anesthesia. I think you see it with other different types of primary care practices where you have a lot of APPs involved. And I think that's sort of an overlooked skill set because for the surgeons, I think you have to have a group of physicians that are doing the surgery, but there's so much of that other peripheral work that ends up being done by somebody else. So to be good as a surgeon today, yeah, you got to have good decision-making and good hands. But beyond that, you really should have the skill set that says, how am I going to organize a team? How am I going to look pre-surgical, look at how the patients are coming to me, look at how we're managing them preoperatively, getting them evaluated and optimized? What's happening in the OR, how to optimize that experience, but also what do the care teams look like on the back end? I mean, that's the skill set that's really going to drive best performance in the future. We're just not really getting into that very much with medical education today. So team, in summary, what do you say needs to happen in the next few years? We need to have a staffing <laughs> campaign that drives folks to want to be in the medical profession in general. We have to get intentional through schools, through recruiting at high school levels to be nurses, doctors. But truly, it's more than that. There's a mentoring issue. As we see people age out of the workforce, we have to have programs that are intentionally mentoring folks and have some sort of measurement that there's been knowledge transfer. I think that's the hard part. Break. Yeah, Angela, I think you're right on target with those. I'll add a couple more. Again, you mentioned the staffing piece. I just called them the staffing moonshots. We need a whole series of those across the board, intentional, nationwide, very, very specific in terms of the goals around that. And it has to be, I think, very heavily organized centrally, probably through the government, because it's not going to happen through individual institutions making it happen. So we need that concentrated effort around the staffing. Otherwise, the rest of this becomes almost impossible. That's number one. Number two is I tend to get pretty fanatical about quality, but right now, quality is the panacea for healthcare. In other words, by providing better quality, consistently doing evidence-based best practices, not only do you knock down complications and prevent mortalities, but you reduce costs, you reduce lengths of stay, you prevent readmissions, you keep patients out of the hospital that don't need to be there. You can do so much if you're simply intentional about quality. But one of the biggest problems we have is our system doesn't consistently pay for quality. Still in a lot of situations, we pay for volume and we're not focused on quality, despite the huge benefits it gives back to the system. I guess the next one is prioritize where to expend resources. Again, for the short term especially, we're not going to have enough resources to be able to do everything for every patient every time. So really be very thoughtful about how we're going to use those very, very limited resources. And the last thing I would say, Tom, is it has to do with provider support. Again, the attrition numbers are just crazy. The number of nurses that start off in the nursing profession and don't last more than a few months before they drop out completely. It's crazy. The amount of docs you see that are burning out right now and just really struggling. It's really important. We got to work twice as hard to really keep the people we already have working and functioning appropriately. If we don't do that, we're going to be playing catch up for the next several decades. I would also like to add that we need to remove the chaos that's occurring in the floors right now. People respond to structure and people respond to function. Ways we could do that is if your institution is large enough, by cohorting patients by service lines or disease states in certain areas. That way, the clinicians, everybody involved, actually develops the expertise and they actually work in an area that they enjoy. I think that that will make a world of a difference 
Having people truly work the top of the license is going to be key moving forward. In addition to using the term provider for maybe people who we may have not determined that before, clinical pharmacists are a very good example that can make a world of a difference on the care of these patients and actually not only decrease that burden, but actually bring in their expertise to make care more efficiently and actually cost less would be my two added cents. But key thing is, again, try to remove that dysfunction that's going on. Bring structure and function back to your floors. Great points, Tom. Yeah, agreed. Great point. Awesome job, everybody. Great, great podcast. Rick and Angela, thanks for joining us for these episodes and providing your perspective on quality in healthcare today. And to our listeners, you can contact Rick or Angela in their email addresses in the resource section of our podcast page. If you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me in our email, modernpracticepodcast at visiantinc.com. We've posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.